by alone inside. He's got the breakaway with the touch to the right. Go! Your Minneapolis City Soccer Club, brought to you by Summit Brewing Company. Coming at you from the social distancing studios in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, this is the People's Pitch Podcast, the official podcast of back-to-back NPSL North champions, Minneapolis City SC. As always, I am your host, Nate, joined by my own personal slice of boredom-busting Pinterest inspiration, John Bitworm. <laughs> John, are you finding enough to keep busy, or are you uh, digging through the internet looking for some really strange new hobbies? Um, I already have strange hobbies, Nate, um, but this week, it, I, I'm going I'm going nuts, man. Um, you know, I hear there's some talk about maybe being able to go out of your house more and and, uh, and be around more people soon, so I'm getting a little excited for that. You can always join the protest, John. Um, you know, I, I, I no thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, at the, but at the end of the day, our, I think our, our collective prison sentences will look to be uh, extended a little bit longer. But yeah. hey, you know what they say, Nate, the show must go on. So for this week's podcast, really only two main things to cover. Uh, first and foremost, city center back Jonah Garcia broke the, the lower league E-Cup with his awesomeness last weekend. Uh, but he plays again this weekend, and we'll cover the controversy that was last Saturday and, uh, and show you the details on his match this Saturday. And finally, the main ticket item, you know, if you've been picking up what we've been putting down lately for the last few shows, it's all about the guests, Nate. And this mm-hmm. week, we have a good one, my friends. The man, the myth, the legend, former Kansas City Wizard and U.S. Men's National Team defender Jimmy Conrad, for some reason, thought it would be a really good idea for his career to join us. So... <laughs> Super excited to have Jimmy on and to and to talk some soccer with him. So strap in, folks. It's real. Here we go. It's real. <laughs> Before we get to the good stuff, uh, we do have to touch on a bit of this lower league E Cup news. Uh, if you're not familiar, Minneapolis City is participating in the lower league E Cup, which is a uh, fully t- online Twitch streamed FIFA tournament made up of around a hundred teams from. Uh, across the country all lower league um, which is what usl2 and below mm-hmm. usl1 and below Correct. Um, yeah so uh, our representative jonah garcia is is playing in the xbox group group i and uh, let me paint a picture for you here because john you and i do the the play-by-play the jo- the play-by-play for each of his matches so far we've done two and we were ready for the third i mean there we were right set to start our twitch project <laughs> Uh, for the brunch time match last Saturday between Minneapolis City and Snohomish County, we got our bloodies, we got our mimosas, and that's when we learned that the challenger from Snohomish County kind of forgot about the match, which was a total buzzkill. What you forgot to mention, Nate, was the fact that um, not only do we call the games, but we have an absolutely absurd, unnecessary pregame show that is usually 15 minutes before each match, and it's almost as long as the match that we call so yeah (laughs) classic us yeah i mean we look 
if you're if we're gonna if we're gonna do it, we're gonna we're gonna do it right. Well, I believe someone posted on our after our first show that we did pregame show. They said nothing's worth doing unless you're overdoing it. So that those are wise words to live by. Ones that we definitely uh, heed over here in city mm-hmm. headquarters. Yeah, that's for sure, man. So uh, Jonah, ready to play Saturday, ends up uh, just kind of twiddling his thumbs, and we log off sheepishly after explaining to the to the people who had tuned in for our pregame show what was going on. But what does that mean for group I play? Uh, well, we don't know yet, but as it stands, Jonah is 2-0 and with a plus-8 goal differential. He sits atop that group table. Mm-hmm. Hopefully this match is going to be rescheduled. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got another match to look forward to coming up this weekend, right, John? Well, breaking news: Jonah. Oh, Jonah took the forfeit, so he uh, he's gonna he's gonna win the match two zero, which doesn't help his goal differential considering that Sonomish gave up fourteen uh, in their first game against a team that that Jonah easily handled in DeKalb County, who sits second yep. in the group. So a little disappointing because we really wanted to see a goal fest. And uh, we're, we're not going to get it. But he is playing this Saturday, uh, 6 p.m. Central, in a crossover group match uh, with Group J's table toppers, FC Tucson. So coverage for that begins at 545 Central over on our, our Twitch channel, which is located at twitch.tv slash MPLSCitySC. So a little unfortunate, Nate, that he's not going to get a chance to hammer some dude. Um, and potentially rack up that goal differential which was one of our key talking points for uh, keys to victory for that match. And we're not going to get it. So. Well, we'll have to do it against Tucson. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. So rack up those goals against Tucson, Jonah. Over the past four years of this show, we've had a number of guests join us, but none as well known at, in the soccer, U.S. soccer landscape as our guest this week. It could be dur- our, just our dumb luck to snag him during the quarantine where there's really nothing to do. But clearly, to us, this was a decision to further his post-playing career by gaining what we like to call the city bump with pl- people that come on our show. Uh, we're pleased to join, uh, be, be joined by one of the most well-known figures in U.S. soccer, the Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, welcome to the show, and how are you doing during lockdown? I'm doing great. I uh, appreciate that intro. I, I wish that you guys had a bigger guest than me, um, <laughs> And but I'll take, the whole, I'll take the whole influential thing. You know, I'll, I'll run with that. You guys can be my publicist moving forward, sure. The quarantine is young, man. We've got, we've got some, some big <laughs> irons in the fire coming up if good, this thing gets good, into good, June. Good. <laughs> In my, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> you, you needed Alexi Lawless or Taylor Twelman to really, I think, you know, set the world on fire. Exactly. But, uh, I'll do my, I'll do my very best. I'll do my very best. When you say well, we're super happy to have you. When you say bigger, did you mean just like taller or someone who has <laughs> has a, a little bit more of a of a clout score? Uh, I guess it's more in the clout score and maybe bigger too. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Taylor Twelman's head is. I don't know if you've seen Taylor in real life. Yeah, it's big. The size of his head is like. It's like a watermelon. Yeah, it's really massive. So my grandpa used to call that uh, a ten-gallon well, head. <laughs> yeah, with with regard to him, it's definitely the size of his head. Uh, it's definitely bigger than mine. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. I love talking the beautiful game uh, at all levels with anybody. So uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. Thank so you. So before we start, can you confirm or deny the rumor that you are an honorary member of City Parent Organization Stegman Soccer Club? Ah, uh, yeah, I can confirm that. That's that's correct. I have a jersey. Uh, it says Conradinho on the back, which I love because <laughs> that's my 
that's my post-playing career nickname is because I was always a closet like box-to-box midfielder in my mind. So um, <laughs> I never got that opportunity to spread my wings as a professional. So it's uh, uh, they, they are definitely near and dear to my heart. So, yes, <laughs> I, I, I can confirm. Oh, perfect. So if you're new. You figure once, once you stop playing and nobody could argue with you anymore, that was the time to really put your stamp on on that box to box. You've already got me figured out, Nathan. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, so if you're new to soccer, you've been living in a bunker since the late 90s. Uh, Jimmy deployed mostly as a defender during his 13-year career on the playing side, logging nearly 300 matches in the MLS for San Jose Earthquakes, Chivas United, and most notably, the Kansas City Wiz. Uh, and if you're fans of the international game, Jimmy was a member of the U.S. men's national team from 05 to 2010. Uh, logging almost 30 caps, including making the roster for the 06 World Cup in Germany, um, the, Co- the 2007 Copa America in Ve- Venezuela, and multiple gold cups. And then before all of that, you, uh, Jimmy was a member of a champion- NCAA championship team at a little school people might have heard of called UCLA in 1997. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, are currently dipping your toes in the management game with USL 2 two side the san francisco glens so needless to say uh jimmy you're a person <clears throat> who has some experience in in all levels of soccer in our country did i miss anything important there no keep going i love it <laughs> no, I, I, I think you can find some more i keep i love it all right we'll keep yeah. we'll, we'll keep digging <laughs> keep digging. Uh, there's so much to talk about uh tonight man we, we're gonna dive into into a lot uh including what you've been doing outside of the game uh, but I want to start from the beginning, man. I want to start with baby Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about your your soccer journey. You know, what were your beginnings in the game, um, and kind of how did how did you how did you develop into a player that ended up at, at UCLA? Yeah, great question. Um, so when my my grandfather was Danish, they they moved over from Denmark. He loved the game. According to my dad, he dad, he, excuse me, he died when I was 11, so I didn't really get to know him, know him. But uh, my dad told me he was a terrible soccer player, uh, so he was living, <laughs> living, living vicariously through me. And and from that, he'd always go outside and kick the ball with me, and that's my first memory of the game. Um, and then I started playing organized stuff, which was all the rec league. Uh, I don't know if you guys have AYSO uh, in in Minneapolis, but that was the the local stuff. I played in Region 98, which was awesome, and um, yeah, I did well. I, I was, you know, on all-star teams and all that stuff. And I just loved the game. I loved to, com- to compete. And I just kind of got the bug early on. But I was still playing baseball. I'd shoot some hoops with my friends. You know, I wasn't really interested in, in football all that much. But, um, you know, I play some flag football every once in a while at recess. But so I just got this bug early. And the passion, I think, from from my grandfather was, was real. It was something I picked up on, you know, when the game was on TV. I mean, it, just seeing somebody that transfixed by a sport was was a eye-opening experience for me my mom and dad weren't too athletic and didn't really care about sports so to be around somebody that that did was was pretty neat so that's where i started and i just did the whole rec league thing i think a lot of guys would be similar and then i got to about 11 years old and we got a coach who came in who i'm still friends with he 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 played at cal state northridge and he was helping his dad coach our rec team and it was our all-star team and we were good. We had a good little squad and we won everything we could possibly win in that group. So he said, you know what, why don't we just go club, you know, and then everybody will pay fees and I'll be the coach and all that stuff. And the parents are like, no, nah, we're not paying. We're going to pay to play. What is that? What's, what's that craziness that still exists today to like the nth level? 
So, you know, that was a conversation even way back then. And he basically addressed every single player at 11 years old and said, uh, you need to just focus on one sport. Uh, and so <laughs> it was an easy decision for me because baseball was boring. Right. But it was a, yep. my dad. My dad really liked baseball. So that was a tough one from that standpoint. But I, I picked that and we did really well. And we, we were competitive, you know, against the teams that had been around and had big clubs and a little bit more saturated in the market, let's say. But there wasn't a lot, not, not as much as there is today. I go to do that route and I'm actually going to pump up high school because with, with the, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get into the Development Academy stuff or not, but I thought one oh. of the big knocks on the Development Academy that I could not stand was that they wouldn't let their players play high school. And I thought that was a really uh, big loss in so many different ways from a social angle, right? To be a part of something bigger than yourself, be to help your school win, right? All that, all that kind of social currency that you get from being that guy for your school. You miss out on that. And actually, you don't, you don't all, only miss out on that. You also get people thinking you're too cool to play for the school. Like you get this kind right. of snobby elitism, which I don't think is a good vibe for anybody. So there's that. But then what I learned when I played with my high school that you can't teach when you're on a club team where everybody's good and especially the DA club, right, where everybody's really good. You don't learn the, the necessary skills to get the most out of players that aren't as good as you. How do you still win games with players that can't really kick a ball? Mm -hmm. How do you still how do you raise the, the level of everybody around you? How do you become a leader? What, what do you do when you're the guy like if you don't play well, your team's not going to win. That responsibility is not something you can replicate with a DA team for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I just thought it was such a big gap in a learn and in a skill that's an intangible that you can't put on paper, that that they can't you know measure. It's just you got to go out there and help your team win, and you got to learn how to lose, you know, and and, uh, and and still try to figure out a way to have success and try to get something out of every single game, either on an individual or collective level. And just what a big miss. So in some ways, I'm glad the DA thing doesn't exist anymore, and, and hopefully. The high schools will benefit from that because sure it's three or four months and yes they're going to be some star guys that get hurt because some other players on other teams can't control their bodies and they're not athletically gifted as some other people but but that's they can still get hurt in da games too so i i, I just don't really buy into that argument as much and i just feel like the, the, the skills that they'll learn will are much more important and will help them develop into becoming more well-rounded players that's my tangent on that so ultimately <laughs> i went to high school okay i went to high school did the thing yep. uh, there's no mls when i was a kid so I had to go watch L.A. laser games, which are indoor soccer. They, I, I don't know if they were good or bad, but I got a free orange ball that I had for like 10 years. So, Dude, I, I remember lasers. the same thing from the, the Minnesota Strikers. The best, right? I had that orange. I didn't even play soccer, and I had that orange ball in my room oh. for, until I graduated high school. Dude, it's the best. We played it everywhere. We played it in the pool. You know, I mean, I don't even know how it survived <laughs> for 10 years, but it survived. I mean, it must have been made out of some like crazy glue or whatever they made it out of. But um. So I did that, but, but UCLA games were the games, the highest level that you could go see, play in person. And Ziggy Schmidt was the coach, rest in peace. And uh, he was just larger than life. He was still, I, I'm not trying to make a joke there. He, I mean, he was thinner then, so it wasn't like a, a joke. There. But, but he, he just had this aura about him. And the players I was watching were, you know, guys that were, you know, national teamers that ended up being national teamers, Joe Max Moore, Brad Friedel, Kobe Jones. Then you have the next kind of phase of guys that were a little bit closer in my age who I ended up now friends with, like Greg Vanny, Ante Razov. Um, I mean, just incredible players, man. And I always wanted to play there. That was it. That was my goal. I wanted to play at UCLA. So high school comes. I have a pretty good career. 
we just were unfortunate to have the number one high school team in the country in our league. So the one trophy I never won in my life was my own high school league, uh, which really hurts my soul. I won pretty much everything else except my high school trophy. You and could course, always do like a 21 Jump Street kind of thing. And... I should. They could use me, actually. Temple City, <laughs> Temple City High, home of the Rams, maybe. They could still use me, I think. But um, that would be cool. I like that idea, actually. It's a good YouTube series right there. Yeah. But um, so I did the high school thing, and I did well. And I was playing up, you know, a year up in my um, – for club, you know, just to get more competition. And I was a bit of a doogie hauser. I skipped a grade when I was younger. So I had to – I had to – kind of elevate and play with older guys too because that was the level I was at and um I just didn't get recruited I didn't get recruited anywhere um I, I either fell through the cracks or whatever I I wrote to UCLA they sent me a note back saying if you if you get accepted to school we will we will give you a tryout I wish honestly I wish I would have kept the note I didn't keep the note I had a 3.8 GPA you know like I said I skipped a grade I thought that would help me it didn't help me uh, my SAT scores were, were fine, like 1200. I mean, solid, nothing. I'm not, you know, setting records, but it was fine. Um, and I was taking all the AP courses. I, mean, I thought I was taking a lot of the boxes. I didn't get into UCLA. So I'm like, all right, well, there goes that. So then my coach, the same coach that had me, who's been coaching me since I was 11, starts, starts calling around on my behalf and bless his heart. And he ends up talking the San Diego state coach division one school into, into giving me free books. <laughs> that's the guy, scholarship the, the guy never saw me play now well listen i get books i get books i get books and i tell everybody i got a partial scholarship to a division one school right but it's yeah, just yeah. Like, it's like 300 dollars a semester it's barely anything are these just general but, books or are these like textbooks no all your books i mean they're expensive <laughs> yeah, like, man. yeah they're expensive that, that, that i mean it's probably all digital now but it all adds up back then right so I think um, by my sophomore year, it, it moved up to like they paid for my board as well. So they're paying for my little apartment or whatever that was. But I had to earn that. So I went down there. I agreed to it. Division one. I, I want to like, all right, cool. I'm going to get some games. We'll see what happens. And, and it was a crazy experience. Um, it was good for me because I got to play 20 or 30 games in two years. Had I gone to UCLA right away, I, especially knowing through my experience, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have played right away. So um, after two years, all of us freshmen, there's like 10 freshmen that came in with me or nine other guys. And we talked ourselves into a frenzy after the second year. Like the coach is a nightmare. He doesn't know what he's doing. We really feel like we're getting better. So we all like, we all want to transfer. As we told the coach, he was so pissed. Mutiny. He told, he told me I would never amount to anything. That was the best, <laughs> right? So I was like, okay, cool. I'm never going to amount to anything. I, I, I respect that. Uh, to my face, by the way, which is great. <laughs> so so uh, I call, I cold called all the schools, UC Irvine. Cal State Fullerton, Northridge, UCLA, all of them. And my coach, that one that helped me before, his coach that he played for at Northridge was still the coach. So I had a really good in there. Everything was lined up that I was going to go there. And then Ziggy finally called me back. And he goes, hey, listen, I don't, I don't really know who you are. <laughs> uh, I'm like, cool, I'll send you some tapes. So I sent him some tapes. He calls me back. He's like, I don't know which one you are still. Like, it's a bird's eye view. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible, you know? So I go in, I go into his office, I shave, I get all cleaned up, ready to go. And I go, just go introduce myself. So he can see me, see my size, look at me in the eyes, know that I want to be there, you know, and that I care. Total risky move. I mean, that could have, that could have backfired. Like, who's the psycho? But I think it did help that I went in there and just introduced myself and did that. And then, you know, I went back to San Diego State and was trying to figure out and wait. He's like, well, let me, let me. I'll get back to you is what he said, ultimately, probably just to get me out of his office. Right. So 
uh, I don't hear from them. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to go with Northridge, you know? So I start to make moves. Like they're sending me paperwork and I'm starting to think of housing and what all well, my classes are going to transfer. And then out of the blue, Ziggy gives me a call. And what happened was he was recruiting Danny Califf. Now, Danny Califf played for the Galaxy for many years mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And Danny Califf is, is an incredibly key figure in my life. But he decided he didn't want to go to UCLA. He wanted to go to Maryland. He didn't want to live close to home. He wanted to go across the country. So because he went to Maryland, Ziggy's like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll get you into school and I'll give you one week to try out. And I was like, I'm in. So I left my little, you know, my room and board scholarship at San Diego State. And I figured for my own ego, protecting my ego, that if I didn't make the team, that would be my redshirt year, you know? So, um, <laughs> and I just worked my, my butt off and get really kind of settled into UCLA life and go from there. And so I made the team. I was the first walk-on to start uh, a game since Kobe Jones. Um, I, yeah, I, I still can't believe it actually. It was a school I always wanted to play for. So to make the team was, was a big deal for me. And then I was kind of in and out for the next two years, frankly. And then five minutes into our first playoff game, my senior year, the guy that was starting in front of me tore his knee. And so Ziggy didn't have any other choice but to play me. <laughs> Next I man mean, up. I, I mean, I, yeah, he trusted me, but I mean, you know, it wasn't like I was his first choice. So I go in there. We don't give up a goal. We give up one goal over the next five games. We win the national championship. And I was like, yo, I'm getting drafted in MLS, baby. It's We're- totally going to happen. I'm on the best national or, you know, the best college team in the nation. It's going to happen. And the other four seniors got drafted and I didn't. <laughs> oh, well- uh, dude, it's unbelievable. So like, I just, I, that was me. That was just my career. And I, did, I basically did the same thing. I went down to a lower league and right. Another place like San Diego state it was actually San Diego flash. And uh, that was, when I look back at my whole career, that was probably my favorite year as a professional, even though I was making $800 a month and sleeping on floors. Like I, you had to determine then if you really wanted to play or not. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about money. That, those things weren't attached to any professional American soccer players for the most part anyway. But, but it was just, can you get better and can you make it? Can you take this opportunity yeah. and move up the ladder? It was, it was an incredible experience and I loved it. So, it's just like, are you dedicated to the grind? Right. So I got, I got some, some massive flashback when you mentioned region 98, Jimmy, I, so I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm, I'm an Ohio, a uh, former Ohio South guy. So there's some decent okay. soccer that came out of Ohio South, but we would, yeah. we, 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 we'd take our puffed up chests to uh, Southern California once a year for t- club tournaments and just get our asses kicked by, <laughs> <laughs> by all the teams in Southern California and I just have like region 98 in my, in my, uh, my nightmares. <laughs> I'll say this what like a funny, I add to that story. When I got into the national team camp, sometimes we would split up the, the, the numbers by everybody from Southern California on one team against the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we would win, we would take them down and we just talk so much trash, uh, just how much, how we developed amazing players in this uh, part of the country. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, no. The teams I was on, we were good, but we'd, you know, we'd go to the East coast and we'd, we'd handle the New Jersey's and, you know, the, yeah. those guys. And, you know, we, we go down South and take care of the guys in Florida. And then we'd go to Southern California <laughs> and it was like, Oh man, I, I want to, I'm, I'm 15 years old and I, and I want to hop on the first flight back home. <laughs> yeah. It was competitive. Is, that still the, is that still the case, John, that like Southern California just develops the best, the best it's, players. Yeah. It's hasn't really changed. I, I, Just because you can play all the time. Yeah, I think it's a year-round thing. I mean, w- w- there was some statistics. I think it's changed a little bit now because of the 
there's more indoor spaces for kids to play now, right? There's more of an emphasis mm-hmm. on development and technique. You, you know, a lot more YouTube videos people can watch and, and uh, try to, to mimic. I, but, but at the time, it was Florida, Texas, and, and Southern Cal or California that were really kind of producing the most players because you could play year-round, and it makes a big difference. But can they do it on a, on a cold September day in Minneapolis? Probably not, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been, well, I, Atlanta I did it. Atlanta did it pretty pretty well in a snowy March day in Minneapolis. That's so. that Minneapolis or Minnesota team was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, so once you joined the MLS, man, you you found success in San Jose uh, as they were transitioning to the Earthquakes, and then of course you found you found huge success with the Kansas City Wizards. So uh, for people that maybe only know the marketing machine that is today's <laughs> MLS, what was the MLS like back? in you know 1999 through 2010 and and if given the chance would you enjoy playing in it more today or would you prefer the heyday you know there's a certain amount of pride i take in being a part of the mls that you see now you know somebody had to go through it somebody i was part of the mls players union i was on the executive committee you know really fighting for for some things that we thought were basic rights for players you know i'm really proud of, of that stuff and i'm proud of the generations that are and classes of guys that have come behind us that were stepping on our shoulders to continue to push to make good things happen for for the players and for the continued evolution of the league. Um, I mean, I see players that that are probably making six or seven or ten times what I was making when I was playing, but it doesn't take away from the fact of what I accomplished. So I don't, I don't really, I'm not the bitter guy. I know there's a lot of the old bitter guys that that <laughs> uh, that still harbor a lot of resentment about that. I I don't fall into that camp. But what I'll say is that it would be really cool to play in some of these stadiums that I missed out on. It would be very cool to be a part of these training facilities that these guys get to play on. Uh, yeah. My first year with San Jose, we had um, we trained at the no, excuse me. We had to go to San Jose State, and they had a little tiny locker room where we 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 would change. We couldn't even train at San Jose State. Couldn't train on the field or on any of their fields. We had to drive 30 minutes to a youth soccer complex in Morgan Hill. Uh, if anybody knows that area, it's just, it's just, it's insane that that's the closest field we could find. And then if you wanted to shower, you'd have to go all the way back up, but most people didn't live up, you know, by San Jose State. So we had to, uh, you just, you change, you just change in your trunk and you hand <laughs> off your, your gear to the equipment manager or because he wasn't, Ugh. he wasn't interested in doing that either. You know, you'd be like, fine, I'll take it. I'll, I'll clean my own stuff. You know, I mean, that's just kind of where it was, but, but for me, coming from the San Diego Flash, it was a step up, right? Because it was still better yeah. than what I had. I didn't have an equipment manager with the Flash in the A-League at the time. And and so everything was still new and better than what I had. And as things progressed, things got a little bit better. So it never felt like I was back in the Stone Ages. But when you look at it as compared to now and where things are headed and, and how they continue to develop, yeah, of course, it, it's, it's quite comical, actually. <laughs> well, as, you know, as the league kind of pertains to how the international uh, – the the men's national team is set up like i i really feel like during your time in the mls was kind of the sweet spot for the league in because the majority of the players at that time that were making up our national team were mls based players i mean there were a few sprinkled in throughout europe but now it seems as if the league itself is moving to more of a selling league and less and less of our players are developing through mls and now they're you know they're all over europe or you know, or some in, you know, in Mexico or, or whatnot, you know, yeah. are you, do you, do you think that, that the league itself is getting a little bit de-emphasized? 
when it comes to kind of building those players because of that, that that's happening right now, as opposed to when you played and it was, you're playing with and against guys that you're seeing week in and week out. Um, yes and no. I think, I think the hard part to separate is the fact that MLS is a business. They, they, if they can sense that making money is by going to get like a, uh, Joseph Martinez, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, a Miguel mm-hmm. Almiron who they can get at a good price and sell them and move them on. Then, then more power to them. And for me, it's just a challenge to the American player to, you got to be better. Right. You have to, you have to cut your teeth and be better. I mean, I, I actually, there was a lot of people that, that's, and this is me going off on a little bit of a tangent, but as I do, as I do, but, uh, when Jurgen Klinsmann opened up the, the player pool to I- include German internationals and yeah, I had no problem with that. Mm-hmm. That's competition. No, that was yeah, great. Why not? You know, if these guys are better than, than the guys that we currently have, I, I got air quotes. I don't know why I'm doing them. You can't see them, but they got better than, than who we have here, then fine. And they, if they qualify for our national team, great. And if the guys at home don't like it, then they just need to play better, you know, and just, just play better. You, you want to solve this problem, be better than these guys. It's, it's not rocket science. You can sit there and they can bitch about it or where they, whatever they want, but they just need to play better than that. And, and that's, yeah, sure. I mean, MLS was, it's a good platform and obviously was a, gave me my opportunity to be seen, even though it took me till I was 27 to actually get a, a sniff and do a January camp. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, there's more teams, there's more opportunities. The pathway, at least it seems, is a little bit clearer to get to the top. When I was coming through, you had to make the 18 man roster. Um, and then when you think about the quality of each team, if you go back to those early DC United teams, every single player on their starting 11 was playing on a national team, whether it was the U S or mm-hmm. Bolivia with Echeverry or, uh, you know, Jaime Moreno. I mean, crazy. I mean, the, the talent, they, yeah. so it, it wasn't necessarily easier for American players to, to get on rosters because at that point we had 10 teams, you have 180 jobs that are available and they were still spending money on the playmakers. They were still spending money on, on foreign players. So I would kind of give that like a yes and no um, to, to your, your answer. I think, I think I wish it, it would, the American player would maybe bounce, you know, would be a little bit more prominent and that they would want to take. And I think they do take pride in that, but um, it's hard to say, you know, I mean, when I look at the top 10 Jersey sales in MLS, like the last two years, I don't think there's one American player on it. You know, and so it's clear who they're trying to market to. But if that's what's selling tickets yeah, and making not. money, then then the American player just needs to play better. I and mean, there's just no way other way around it. That's because kids don't want to wear long sleeve goalkeeper jerseys in the summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> John, I'm going to go off script though. I'm going to go off script though because we talk about this every once in a while on the show, Jimmy. That like, and yet, and yet, you've got uh, a, a machine that holds up like the American product as the height of. Uh, uh, of international soccer right we get like when you when you you know some of the guys that are on the men that are making men's national team uh games that are getting called the camp uh are like you know you know the the right back for a second or third tier mls team like that's probably not the best sign for american soccer either is it no probably not but it's also i think an opportunity because me as an example i don't think anybody looked at me and thought, ah, that, you know what, that guy's going to kill it on the national team. And not to say that I killed it, but, but is he going to be good enough to play for us? And I think I did enough and warranted enough respect yeah. to, to prove that I could. And, and I, I, I mean, I knew it for myself that I got to hold my own and thought I did a pretty good job in my caps. And, and even when I didn't play, still being supportive of the guys that were, of, of 
my time with the, with the team. So you don't know for sure. You, you, sometimes guys need that little boost of confidence to take mm-hmm. those next steps. Uh, and mine kind of coincided at the same time. I, I got into my first camp in January, 2005. Um, we win the gold cup that year. I get named MLS defender of the year. I go to the world cup the next year. I score against Mexico the year after that. I mean, Pat, what was the chicken or the egg there? What gave me the confidence to be able to mm-hmm. do that? And I think getting called into my first camp really and proving myself in that camp, right, which was really important too, not just falling out, but right. actually sticking with the team and going to the World Cup qualifier that I didn't dress for, but I was there and part of the team. Uh, still surreal experience. Just my whole first time of that was amazing. But, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes you need to give those guys a chance to be seen because maybe it will elevate their games and then they, they will start to believe them in themselves in a way that they maybe hadn't before. So again, I can see if you can see, like if I'm the national team coach and I play with Greg Berhalter, if I, if I can see a little bit and I do coach now, right. And when I do my tryouts, if I can just see a little bit of where I think you could go, you know, if you just either were a little bit fitter or, or just was, if you were around a better level, you know, some guys play at the level of their competition, you know, maybe, maybe that would elevate everything as well. So you know, I trust that Greg's been around and seen some players. And if he wants to give some guy a chance, who's maybe not killing it with his MLS club because he saw a little something. I think it's worth giving that, that kid a shot. Yeah, give him yeah, a look. So right. you, uh, you, you kind of dipped in and out of international soccer a, a little bit. Um, but what was, the, <laughs> what was the process like for you um, getting on the radar of the national team? And, and how did it all kind of shake out? Um, you know, and, and what was it like to, to, to put the badge on and represent the country you know, the first time you did it in 05 against world beaters, Cuba, um, <laughs> all the way through playing in a world cup in Germany in 06. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of layers to this one. I would say that <laughs> um, I was trying to get Bruce arena's attention for a long time. You know, I thought that once I made the move from San Jose to Kansas city, 2003, I came in, we had Preki. He was the league MVP that year. I, we played in a back three. I was one of the band markers in a back three. It just was grunt work. You know, I love Bob Gansler, my coach. You know, I, I that was my first year with him and with the, this group of players that had been around for a few years. So I had to earn my, my stripes. But uh, unfortunately for Preki, but fortunately for me, he broke his leg in preseason 2004. So we switched to a back four, and that's when I just took off. Uh, we had the league's best defense. I was named as a MLS Defender of the Year candidate. Uh, Robin Frazier ended up winning it, which he deserved. He was very good that year. But um, – that was the big thing. And I thought, oh, cool. We got to the MLS. We won, a, we won the Open Cup that year. We, we lost in the MLS Cup final. So I thought we had done enough to, to warrant me maybe getting a look, maybe potentially. But they'd always call in Nick Garcia from, from our team, my teammate. They'd always call in Nick. And it, I'm like, what? I'm around this guy every day. There's no way this guy's better than me. You know? But I didn't say that, of course. But that's what I was feeling on the inside. So at the end of 2004, the U.S. national team players were going to strike. So since I didn't have a cap or had never been called in, I get a call from Bruce Arena. Finally, Bruce Arena calls me and he goes, here's hey, my chance. Would, here's my chance. How would you like to go against all the players of the national team and play in a national team? Game? Like, of course, I'm going to say no to that. I'm not going to. And and you don't want to go in under those circumstances either, right? You want to go in because you're one of the best, not because you're a scab or whatever. So I said, no, I, I, I said that I always wanted to play for him, but these aren't the circumstances that I want to play. I, I appreciate the offer and hopefully we'll cross paths soon. I was very uh, diplomatic and mm-hmm. 2005 comes. So they get it solved. January camp is on. I'm like, Oh my God, it's on. Here we go. I talked to Bruce. Maybe something will happen. Nothing. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. I find out that Danny Califf turned down the opportunity to go into January camp to go 
because his contract was up, he wanted to go try his luck in Europe during the January transfer window. I was like, okay, cool. And I got called in because Danny Caleb once again created an opportunity. I love you, Danny Caleb. I'm pointing at the sky right now. I love Danny Caleb. <laughs> Dude, he's <laughs> your <laughs> soccer guardian angel. Does this, is this, is this guy get like a bottle of champagne every he year? He should, actually. He really should. But um, <laughs> and I got a funny story about him from the Copa America because he was with me in 07. We were roommates and, and, um, I told him that he's like, oh man, that's crazy, you bastard. Because I want, I want, I want to be on the World Cup team like you were. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't have left, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, sucks for uh, you, man. Sucks for you. <laughs> but um, so I got called in, and honestly, it wasn't really overwhelming. I was really proud, of course, but I wanted to prove that I could play. And I think what really helped me, Nick Garcia got called into. I don't even know if Nick knows this, but I, when when uh, all I wanted to prove in this camp was that I was better than Nick Garcia. That was it. Like, and, it, and that kind of, that singular focus really helped me kind of handle the pressure and the, the magnitude of it all, because it was such a meaningful experience for me. Uh, I remember going in, dude, this is, this is the real deal. I went in, I got to the, the hotel, right? You fly in, you get to the hotel and everybody's there, but I had never been into camp before. I don't know how to act, even though I know a lot of these guys have been on my teammates, teammates in college or a club or whatever. I'm like shaking. It's a I'm different shaking. world. I'm literally shaking because I'm so nervous and I don't know how to act. And I don't know, like, I don't want to be too jovial or, but I don't want to be mute either. Cause I'm not a mute guy anyway, but, but, but I didn't know, I didn't want to overdo it. Right. I didn't want my personality in some ways to work against yeah. me. So I was like downplaying everything. I'm just here to play and prove that I can play. Um, not to be the coolest guy ever. I do that now, but uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I set myself for my own joke. I love it. But, um, but at that point I was just, I'm just here to play. So, Everything that we did, if, if there was a running exercise, I would go, I would try to get into Nick's group and then just try to beat him every single time. And I beat him in every single running thing and he was fit, but I made sure that I beat him every, cause I wanted, when they ever thought about Kansas city and defenders from Kansas city, I wanted them to think of me and not Nick Garcia anymore. So I can't, I got to send Nick a, a bottle of champagne as well because he really <laughs> elevated me to, and I mean, honestly, I'd wake up in the morning. I'm going to be better than Nick Garcia today. I'm going to be better than Nick Garcia today. I didn't worry about for the Frankie Hadix, the Eddie Pope's. Uh, these guys that were pretty much untouchable and were awesome players and good guys. I, it was less about that. I just tried to like really scale my goals that were a little bit more manageable. I never once thought, thought about sure. making the world cup team. The, the one time that I did, no, honestly, <laughs> I didn't even think that far ahead. One time that I did, we went to the gold cup uh, and then I played against Cuba and, and I was shitting my pants, especially when we went down one zero, I was like, oh, okay, my first cap, we're going to me and Clint Dempsey's first cap. We're both gonna, you know, lose to Cuba in Seattle. Um, great, but we end up we end up coming back. Clint, Clint ended up scoring, which is great. But um, I remember watching that game. Yeah, it was a good game. Second game, we played against Canada in Seattle again. There's two games in the same market, and um, because I had played two or three days before, I it was like a whole different team that was gonna start. Before that game, though, I thought, okay, you know what? My role, if if wildest dreams, I get I get called into the World Cup team and I make the World Cup team. My role is not going to be as a starter. It's going to be as a guy that comes in in a pinch, maybe has to be a spot starter, has to come in with 10 minutes left to hold the lead, what, somebody's hurt, whatever it is, right? That's going to be my role. I, I accept it. It is what it is. I'm okay with it. I just want to go to a World Cup. That sounds pretty awesome. But, but that second game, this is where I think I earned a ton of Bruce's trust, was that I was prepared to go in. And 45 minutes in, I think Eddie Pope, like, hurt his calf or his back or whatever. Somebody got hurt in the back line and I went in 
And I knew that once once I go in, I need to lock it down. It's not just go in and and whatever, you know, just just play. Yeah, get, get by. by. Exactly. It was I had to go in and lock it down and there was no drop off. And that's what I did. We ended up winning 2-0 and uh and and I played every game. I think I was the only player that played in every game that Gold Cup. And and by the and by the final <laughs> I was starting. So I I was going to be I think starting it as a spot starter and then I ended up working my way into being the, the full starter for the whole team at that point. And it was crazy. You know, it was, uh, it was intense. Now, after that, it was kind of back to being spot starter, but through that, it was really important for me. People, people really dismiss the January camp, but I can't tell you how important it is for a player that's trying to break in to have three weeks with the coaching staff. Otherwise it's a couple of days before a qualifier. It's a couple of days before a friendly, everybody kind of flies in. There's no real meaningful training. You can't really prove you're better than anybody else out there because mm-hmm. nobody's really trying that hard. Nobody wants to get hurt kind of stuff. So that was really important. And then obviously having a month with the Gold Cup to really show the coaching staff who I was, what I was about, and what I thought I could do to help the team. And I thought I proved that in spades. And and there were a lot of people surprised that I made the team. But I wasn't surprised because I thought I had ticked all the boxes that the coaches were looking for, not just as a as a player, but also a good locker room guy, good teammate. And uh, I thought I, I handled that pretty smartly. And then Guess what happened? We got two red cards against Italy, and I came in as somebody that had to hold it down, and and, and I <laughs> and I did right. I mean, I was meant, I was, was yep. prepared for that being my role, and and I, I was ready when when I mean I, I didn't even need to warm up. By the way, when they told me I was going in from zero to like a thousand, I just skipped right past a hundred and went to a thousand. I mean, my blood was I was crazy. I could not believe I was going to go play in a World Cup game. It was unbelievable. Anyway, that's a different story, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Hey man, so. Uh, <laughs> I guess the, the, the follow-up question here, when you talk about like you were trying to get on Bruce's radar, you were really, you know, always trying to get, get in front of him. And then finally you were like, we've, we've talked to Brandon by who was a former uh, Minneapolis city player. Now he's the, the starting uh, right back for new England revolution, right. Drafted in the, yeah. in the first round of the MLS draft mm-hmm. a couple of years back. Right. Also now coached by Bruce. And we asked him the same thing. What is the one thing that, because uh, you know Bruce is legendary mm-hmm. in general. He's got a yeah. legendary personality. People have their own opinions about him. So, but what is the one thing that maybe people would expect about working under Bruce that is not true? Oh, I think that is not true. I think um, mm-hmm. is uh, it, it's not there. I, I think it's not a for me. It's not a personal arrogance. I think he gets really labeled as this really cocky guy, and I really think it's more of it's like an East Coast thing. Probably a little bit, but I feel like what I loved about Bruce, mm-hmm. this is one of my favorite things about playing for Bruce. There was never a time where I went into a game thinking we weren't ready. Um, he always basically was like, F those other guys. You know what I mean? And he kind of gave us a little bit of attitude. Um, and, and in some ways, I feel like we've lost that. You know, if we're talking about these little intangibles. Yeah. Yeah, we just the don't swagger. have that. You know what? We're, even if we lose, we're going to give these guys everything that we got. We're going to go out there and do the best that we can. I'm not to say that the guys, current guys don't do that, but but it was just a – I don't know. It just felt different than what I'm seeing now when I watch some of the games. Not not all of them because sometimes they do come out and, and play the way that, that I, I used to be involved with. But that, that was something that Bruce instilled that I thought you, 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 it's not paper. It's not tactics. It's like this confidence that, you know what, we can play with those guys. you know. And, and I've had other coaches that they, they'll – whether it's their psychological way of doing it, but they would try to be like, well, the other team's already better than us. This is how we're going to counter them. 
they're yeah, making excuses kinda, already. Or they're putting you in a formation that doesn't lend itself to really giving it a go. And I always thought that mm -hmm. Bruce didn't put us mm -hmm. in like an overly defensive uh, formation. He was like, no, we're going to get after it. Yeah, it might be a little tweak here and there to be kind of thoughtful to another good player on another team and how we want to maybe trap them or, or crowd them or make it difficult for them. But outside of that, it wasn't like we're going to sit on top of our box and, and hope for the best. And, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of those performances, and, and that's part of the American stereotype is we play the bigger, bigger clubs. But, you know, that's what I loved about Bruce the most, and, and he still has it. You can see it embodied in his teams. They always have that belief that they can do it. And I don't think you can say that as consistently with any other coach that coaches in this country or has been, you know, part of the national team program. So I could, I could, you know, ask you the difficult questions of like, who's the best player you, you faced off against or what's the best team you were on. But I really don't feel like people want to hear that. So <laughs> I, I feel that I'm, I'm pretty safe when I say that you're a good locker room guy, mm -hmm. you know, and you've been parts of lots of different teams. Are there any stories of the locker room antics that you care to share from your time with the fellas? during your playing days yeah give us your best give us your best yeah I, mean, Preki, story. I don't know how many people are familiar with Preki. uh one of the most talented players i have been around i mean he he was all left foot and honestly you'd be you know you'd going up against him and you know what he's gonna do and but you he, he's so good with his body feints of like oh no maybe he will go to his right this time for the first time in 15 years this is the time he's gonna go to his right I mean, he's so good at selling it and, and everybody bite, everybody, you still bite. And then he cuts, he cuts the other way and does whatever he wants. He either dribbles past you or shoots or passes. It's, it, it was incredible. I and mean, I think he really honed his skills uh, playing indoor for many years, actually at Tacoma, I think. Um, but he, uh, he was king of prankster. He would go get big buckets of water. And when guys were showering, you know, conversation in the shower, blah, blah, blah. He would just dump big ice buckets of water on people. And it was actually funnier not to see it, but just to hear it, right? You could see him go in there, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and these guys would run out without, you know, their clothes on. And then you just kind of figure out what, you know, if you wanted to, you could double down there and maybe do another bucket when the guy's all pissed off and comes back out. Or, you know, you could slap him in the ass with a towel or whatever, you know, there's a whole bunch of different layers you could add to that. But yeah, Preki was a, was an instigator. He used to always love uh, putting people, like putting pieces of paper in people's mouth when they're sleeping on the plane. And then getting like ran, random people that were next to us to laugh at him and then take photos and take selfies or whatever. With Yeah, it was um, unbelievable. So so Preki stands out for me with regard to that. I'm trying to think of any anything else that's safe to say. Um, <laughs> is this, this is the time where we tell you this is the circle hey, of trust. Yeah, no yeah. No, until, no, no pressure. But <laughs> circle of trust yeah. until we tweet it out to everyone and hope to, hope to get as much yeah, as many listeners as possible. There's quite a few that I, yeah, I'll have to keep keep really close but um but yeah i mean those are, those are the, the the primary well, antics you know i mean you're with each other so much um, awesome. anytime you can you can mess around but it was cool to see somebody of precky stature or any of the time you know guys that were decorated and had a good career and they were still interacting like you know precky's a big big kid for me you know so just to see him i think it it, it really helped other guys relax and and uh, feel a part of it in some ways it's truly a shame when it comes to American soccer that Brecky only had such a short window with their national team, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. He's, he was such a fantastic player and, and one that we kind of haven't had a replica of for probably still to this day. Yeah, we haven't really had that string puller that I think he was. Um, I will say, though, we had to play a 3-5-2. Um, yeah. and, th and then when he broke his leg, we got to go to a 4-4-2. And I think that suited our team better, frankly. I mean, we won an Open Cup. And we got to the MLS Cup final with him being hurt the whole season. 
the year before we did okay, but we didn't, we didn't reach those heights, you know? So I thought maybe our whole overall team was maybe better suited in a four in the back, but because of his talents, we, we accommodated his ability. So I wonder a little bit, you know, if that was one of the reasons why he didn't get as many opportunities because he was so one-sided now in fairness to him, I don't want, I was okay with it because I don't want guys like Preki and, and same with Messi and those types of guys. You don't want them to spend an ounce of energy playing defense. Like I don't want them. Nope. You get the ball and just go <laughs> forward, dude. I don't want you to worry about defending. The other 10 guys can worry about that. And yeah, that's my job. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, I just think that at the national team level, it's a little bit different. I think everybody's got to pitch in a little bit. I could see why a national team coach would be somewhat reluctant to have him come in and be the centerpiece because if he gets shut down then then you've really done a lot to have to work around his talents um so but i could see him coming off the bench and making a, a big impact and i know that he did a few times and he scored a good goal against brazil in the one of the tournaments that was the final which was a really really big deal yeah or maybe like a 22 year old preki who maybe sniffs defense a little bit more <laughs> i don't know i don't know knowing him quite well i don't know if that's in his uh, bag of tricks but he um yeah, the willingness to defend. I don't know. That's 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 the precky that I know and love. But maybe maybe at 22, and he knew that was what the deal was for him to get a sniff. Maybe he would approach it different. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't know if we're we're players like that. I don't know when we talk about the development academy if we're allowing players to develop and flourish like that. I think that's probably part of the knock. And we could we could argue again that that high school would give those players a chance because they'd have to be those guys. Yeah. You know. We've got a juicy development question from a listener in a second that we're going to get to, but I want to talk coaching for a bit because uh, now you are uh, the coach of a, of a lower league soccer team it. in America. You are the coach of the USL, USL2 San Francisco Glens. Uh, so, so I want to ask, man, as a guy that deals in young talent these days, and young talent is what Minneapolis City fans are used to seeing, what is your take on the importance of of this high level amateur soccer experience for young players and for I think us soccer as a whole it's a really important step for them personally like it was for me with the san diego flash to decide if this is what they really want and that's one part of it the second part is it's it, there's a development angle yep and i tell it to the guys when i talk to them if they go to mls right away they probably won't play so this is a good opportunity for them to learn how to be good pros how to take care of themselves, how to prepare for a game, how to get players around them to play better. You know, uh, almost all the little high school intangibles I was talking about. Yeah, the, the level, some of our guys, maybe the level's a little bit too low for them, but it's still a good opportunity for them to develop other things. And, and uh, I try not to let any of that pass them by. Now, it's important to have lower level soccer for a lot of different reasons. And I think, I think we can all see why, but my fear, and this is what I learned this year, is I had a player that wanted to try out with USL League One or USL Championship. And I got him a look at a USL Championship team. And I told him, uh, well, actually, I talked to the coach first. Let me go there. He had MLS experience. I used to play against him in MLS. And um, I asked him about kind of the, the scouting network that they have at USL Championship level. And he said that... They don't scout down. That was, that was really fascinating to me. They're only looking for guys that fall out of MLS as, a, as opposed to trying hmm. to find the diamonds in the rough. And they, don't, they just don't have the – right, right. To well, make they don't that have money. infrastructure either to look down, you know. So yep. it, it was um, – gotcha. 
it was a really eye-opening experience for me with regard to the communication that needs to exist at this level. Yeah. You know, um, because I think that's a big reason why a lot of players are falling through the cracks. I don't think our scouting is anywhere near developed as it should be. I think that because it's pay to play, there's such an emphasis no. on winning. There's a lot of club coaches and youth coaches that don't want to give up their players because then that'll cut into the money that they're making. They need to win to get paid, right? That's what makes parents happy. And it's a real vicious mm -hmm. cycle that seems to be less, less about developing players as players and human beings and more about uh, making money. And that's, it's a, because there's so much money at stake, it's going to be, I think, a glacial evolution to where I think it should go. I mean, I have no problem with people making money. That's fine. But I just feel like the equilibrium's off where it's more about making money than it is about player development. I just wish that would level off a bit. But um, I, I, for me in particular, I really love doing it. I want to give back. I've learned so much on my own journey. And I've learned, I've got so much great advice, uh, especially at their age. And uh, if I can give that back in a meaningful way and somebody can use it, then, then um, that's what it's about. So I would, I, I love it. I, I'm sad the USL League two season just got canceled. I understand why, of course, but I was really looking forward to, you know, really helping these guys grow. Uh, and then also trying to get results at the same time, which is where we're at, right? This used to be called the PDL, the, the Premier Development League. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to emphasize. We're here to develop you. We're here to give you the tools and the insight necessary to continue to scale. You know, we win some games along the way, great. But, but um, and we, we'd, we'd like to think we were going to, but we still are really trying to focus on the individual and then how they fit into the collective and, and how to get yeah. them to be adaptable, right? I think that's the big thing. Can you play, not necessarily multiple positions, but can you understand yeah. different tactics? Can you understand different formations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, there's a at, big yeah. gap right. there where some guys have a really hard time. Um, I actually don't want to name them school, but there's a really top school of a couple players that came to play for us last year who are such system guys that when I, when I asked them to, to play a different <laughs> formation than what they're used to, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. I mean, they couldn't. We've got that exact I, I system here, I guarantee. I just couldn't believe that, that <laughs> players of this caliber who, who, who have done well at the Division One level, I asked them to move a little bit different than what they're used to, and they just – they're just really uncomfortable. Fall it apart. was really, really fascinating to me. And that's a product. For I mean, sure, that, that sure. happens all the way down to the academy system too, right? You get these academies that like the coach is the guy mm -hmm. and he's got his system and the kids only know how to play that system. And so when they go on to the next, the next, the next level, all they know how yeah. to do is play possession yeah. soccer or something like that. It is. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I, you, you, you brought this up and I want to, and I want to touch on it really quickly because it was clear even before COVID-19, like when say the U S open cup was, they move their schedule up, right? That USL two teams in particular are going to be affected. And that's a big um, lost competitive opportunity. And now you, you brought it up. Uh, USL two season is canceled. So what is your take on how this is this lost spring and lost summer is going to affect the development of young players, whether they're elementary kids or they're college age kids it's up to the or they're kid. playing in amateur uh, right now. I'm telling my guys that I get to have communication with that, I personally made my game in isolation. The reason I scaled because I would go work on my game by myself. I would go run a little bit more. I would go learn more. I would go work on my weak foot. I would go train with a tennis ball. I would go do all these little things. I'd call my coach and say, what do I need to work on? And then once he told me what it was, I would figure out a way to get that better so it was no longer a weakness. This is an amazing time for players to get better at their game. And if they do not mm -hmm. see that opportunity, if they don't take advantage of this extra time that they have on their hands to get better at their craft, and those aren't the type of players I want on my team, frankly. If they can't see it, that 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 would just blow me away. That that that. Now, yes, are they going to lose out on some meaningful games? 
probably. Yeah, yeah six, but... six to eight months. Yeah, sure, sure. Of course they so are. So is everybody. No question. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. The playing field's even and level in that way. I would say also they have a, an amazing opportunity to start watching more games. You know, there's a lot of players out there, and I used to be guilty of it too, right? I played a lot, and you, you kind of eat and sleep it, and you live it, but I wasn't necessarily watching. And you can learn so much from watching. I remember I made a, I made a decision when I was my rookie year. Uh, I was not in the team. Like, all right, let me just figure this out. Let me watch a Champions League game, and I took notes. And it was, um, I think it was Alessandro Nesta from Milan. And all I did was watch. And I, I dude, my, I wish I still had. I wish I would have kept all that stuff. But it was how many times he did one touch. What, what, you know, one, what, or then I would break it down. Was it a clearance? Was he trying to make a pass to somebody? You know, was it a header? Was it with his foot? I, two touch. Who's he playing it to? Which part of the field? When does he switch the point of attack? And why did he do it? What kind of pressure did he have on him? I mean, I was going so detailed on it. And what I learned after that experience was he's not doing anything that I'm not capable of. And it's such an empowering time to see that these guys, the only thing they're doing better is just their decision making is quicker. Um, and, and that is, and you'll, you'll develop that as you see more situations, but that was a really empowering moment for me. So these guys right now can do the same thing. They can watch games, they can scout. They have so many tools at their disposal to get better as players that I didn't have access to because the internet wasn't, and I'm old, but uh, you know, I, I just think it would be really foolish for, for guys to yeah. think, I'm just going to sit on my ass and play video games for the next five months until things get figured out. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) all right you hear that kids get off the video games games, but you know yeah no absolutely absolutely i agree as a guy that so there's loves video games there's a phrase that we have (laughs) around our parts jimmy that i think kind of encompasses what you talked about you know at this level of soccer and and the things that you that you can do as an individual if you know you're going to go on to another level or if you if you feel like you you could or you should go on to the next level and we basically call our environment professionally amateur so it's 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 not only how we as a club go about things but also how we want our players to act because whether they're with us for a long period or not like like brandon who who didn't mention um they take a little bit of us with them when they go to their next piece And and if we can provide them with with thinking through our level as as being as professional as possible then it, it, it sets them up for success moving forward. So feel free to use that if you'd like. I will, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you're creating good habits <laughs> yeah. and disciplines that will serve them well moving forward. It's something I try to emphasize as well with my group, you know, and I, and I last year I remember going through it because I was more of an assistant coach last year. But when I had a chance to speak to the guys, the ones that didn't play, I just said, just think about your behavior because if you end up being a guy that pouts, or, and your teammates know that you're pouting as well. How can I count on you to, to deal with adversity in a game? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to, all of a sudden something doesn't go your way. What are you going to do during a game? You're going to be a baby about it? Or what, I mean, what, so, and I mean, this is a really harsh way of saying it, but, but that's the reality, man. Nobody cares about your feelings once the game starts. So are you going to show up and, and hold yourself accountable and take responsibility and get out there and play and, and deal with adversity when something doesn't go your way? Or are you just going to, you know, uh, no, nah, I, I can't be bothered today. You know, I, this is this is game's too hard for me. I mean, so these little behaviors, when things don't go their way, are super important because because not everything's yeah. going to go your way. And you get to really – it weeds people out, ultimately, if they can deal with adversity or not. And from a guy like you, like, 
both times, you know, twice already tonight, you've talked about opportunities to jump into a game and, and make your mark, and and you you grabbed them, grabbed the bull by the horns, right? I mean, and look, can we look, talk about what, what, what the biggest regret you of anybody's the, life would be? You made, is if an opportunity came and you weren't prepared for it. That's re- that's regret, right? Because mm-hmm. you were too yep. bitter, or because you were too frustrated, or you couldn't get out of your own way, or your pride was hurt, or your ego was damaged, or whatever. Because in, instead of just putting, listen, I say this to all the young kids that rage coach. There's plenty of time, and you should give yourself a moment to feel sorry for, for yourself. That's part of the process. But the ones that can get past that the quickest and move on and move forward and continue to try to get better are the ones that are going to have success and are then prepared for that opportunity that we're talking about. But if you aren't ready for that opportunity or if that opportunity comes and you're not yeah. ready, it's going to come too. Everybody gets a sniff. And because if you're working hard enough, you're going to get that sniff. A coach is going to give you a chance at some point. If you're not ready for it, that's on you, you know? So. <laughs> so Damn, I'm going to sneak one good. quick coaching question here. Um, and hopefully the, the answer to my question is former Milwaukee Bavarian, Bob Gansler. Um, <laughs> but uh, you've had a lot of coaches for both club and country. Um, and, and now you're, you know, you're moving into that, that world. Who, who is your favorite coach to play for? And it could be Gansler. It could be somebody else. I just threw that I in th- there because I'm a former Bavarian as well. No, so. Of course. I respect it. I love Bob Gansler. Uh, he is like a father in, in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. He was very hard on me. Um, He's hard on everybody. So he is. He is. Yeah. It's, it's part of his very charm. Very Yeah. But uh, I'll give you a story. So we had practice. Uh, it was Kansas City. We were at Arrowhead. And it just got announced that I was going to be the MLS Defender of the Year. So obviously I was like, oh, my God, I'm buzzing. It's unbelievable. Everybody's excited for me. Maybe not Nick Garcia, probably, but, you know, everybody else is excited for me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so uh, Nick's great. I love him. He'd probably laugh at that. But so I um, go down to the practice field and, you know, I'm, I'm you know, walking on clouds. This is just what an amazing uh, accolade. And obviously it fell into what the team was doing, too, because, you know, we had a good season and, and uh, defensively we were really sound. I was really excited. So I'm coming and the coach, or Ganza calls me aside. It's just me and him. And he puts his arm around me, he goes, and he goes, uh, deserve that for 60% of the year. <laughs> and I was, I, was like, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I, I mean, uh, he wasn't being jovial or congratulatory to me or at all. That was what he said. And then he ended up, he ended up giving the defensive team of the year to Nick Garcia. He didn't even give it to me. I didn't even win my team's defender of the year. I won the league defender of the year, but I didn't win, win my team. Um, and, and it hurt me, it hurt me for him to say that, you know, I, I had been working very hard to get his approval to, and I'm sure everybody else, right. When you have somebody who's that demanding and, and hard on people, you, you're trying to seek their approval. Yeah. And I thought that I had earned that with this award and he still wouldn't give it to me. He still wouldn't give me that, that satisfaction. Was uh, that probably. another intentional lesson or something? I went home, I, I went home and him? cried. I mean, I won the MLS defender of the year award. Uh, I'm not looking into individual awards, but it was still like something that, that it's was a big deal, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a big it's a... deal. And so I went home and cried. Yeah. So imagine you, you win this award. You, you think everything's great. And I didn't feel good about myself. It's incredible, dude. So yeah, I love Bob Gansler. I mean, ultimately, I know he was super proud of me when I, he made me tougher. I'll say that he gave me thick skin. So when I did get in, in dealt with adversity with the national team, or uh, when I went to the world cup, I mean, he was the first to be super, super proud. He was beaming then, you know, and I think he should rightfully take some credit for really providing me with some thick skin, but man, some of those days were real, really hard. 
that was just his way of, of telling you that like you had yeah. toilet paper on your shoe and you left the bathroom, right? I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep thinking of it that way. But uh, so, so I would say there was just different different coaches that that got me at different times. You know that that I got to play for Bob Bradley, yeah. who made me captain of the national team. You know five times, which I can't thank him enough. It's an incredible honor. Um, playing for Bruce, obviously taking me to a World Cup, and he wrote me an amazing note afterwards that I still have that just said that uh, he that I was everything that he thought I would be and more, which is really nice. Nice. Um, for him to take the time to do that, especially after, you know, us losing wow. in the group stages and all that. So, you know, that I really came through for him. You know, people had been doubting me, but but uh, there was no reason to because he, he knew that I was going to do the job and I did it. So it was cool. That was really neat. And then, you know, playing for Ziggy Schmidt and, and having some awesome moments with him and some tough times, too. And and Frank Yallop, who is pretty decorated in MLS. We won our you know first MLS Cup together 2001. So, yeah, you, you, you take bits and pieces from everybody, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, it was fun to my last For year real. at Chivas USA. Uh, Robin Frazier was a coach and Greg Vanny was the assistant. And now both of those guys are killing it, you know. So yeah, watch, watching them go through the process. And I retired, excuse me, six months into that season. So I got to be part of the coaching staff for the rest of the year. And he – well, that was the way it worked. That, Is that how I mean, worked? it was kind of like a de facto assistant coach. <laughs> but but essentially, they were going to pay me out my salary, but I had to move into like a coaching position so they could free that that money up for a salary cap spot so they could go get another player. So I just stayed on staff. Sure. But I was he was helping me. I was like I coached the reserve team in games. It was me and uh, the best one was me and Brian Schmetzer. It was a three-three game against the Sounders when they had the reserve league, and Schmetzer was yelling at me, and he came and apologized later because he's such a nice guy. It was so funny. And I and I, I said Schmetzer, I put my arm around him like, listen, if you weren't <laughs> like that, if you weren't being competitive during a game, I'd be more worried than if you were being nice <laughs> the whole time, you know. I love Schmetzer, he's great. So I'm really happy for his success. But um yeah. yeah, you just take bits and pieces from everybody. And it was really cool though with the Robin and Greg experiment at Chivas, just to see what they were going through and, and to really get the inside because I was in those coaching meetings meetings and to see how they were trying to motivate certain players that were yeah not really easy to motivate. And uh, it was incredible learning experience. So I, you know, I can't thank everybody that I've been across and, and been around. It's been awesome. Hey Jimmy, I, w- I want to bring it local real quick. So uh, some listeners, lo- some listeners that are local to the twin cities, they might remember a, uh, a dark snowy April evening <laughs> when you rolled into town uh, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, a pickup mm-hmm. game at Joy of the People, uh, can you can you talk a little bit about why you emphasize pickup games? Yeah, all over the country, you do it. You do it all over the place, but but also how you got hooked up with so, JOTP to host one here, because my because my boy plays for Joy of the yeah. People, and I mean my my son, and he was like he's like right next to you in the picture. Uh, like he is directly to your right in the, in the shot that you posted. He had such a great time. Great. I know some of the Stegman's guys were there. They had a great time. Uh, it's just, it was, yeah, it was, so it was a lot so of cool. Reasons. Why is that valuable? Layers to it. Uh, first and foremost, I like to set up games where I know I'm going to win, you know? So let's just start there. Uh, no, that's not always true, though. Sometimes I get beat. And actually, I think, I think uh, the, the people that come out love it when I lose because I just, you know, I get all, uh, I get all gruff, you know, and, and give everybody a hard time. But um, it really started as something that we did in – 2014 the world cup in brazil i was with kick tv a youtube channel at the time and we were just trying to just play we just wanted to play we had a small enough crew we could probably get two or three but we just started inviting anybody that was around to play with us but it didn't really take off until the copa america in 2000 i was in i was in chile for 2015 
And we had two games there, and it's, it blows your mind. I did them in Santiago, and like 30, 40 people showed up. And you're like, all right, cool. You guys still hear me? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, my, my AirPods, the yeah. fancy oh, AirPods yeah. are dying. Okay, so so I did a couple there, and you're like, all right, cool. But we, it wasn't it wasn't like part of me yet. Like I could see the value in it, but it wasn't part of like what I like to do. I didn't really understand the power of it yet. But come to the Copa America Centenario, I was with the company that was sending me around to all the games. I'm like, why don't we just do pickup games every city we go in? And that's where it started. And that's where it blew up. And um, it was it was awesome. And so every time I travel now, I try to do it. Um, it's, it's fun because I think people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. You really tap into that. You bring in a lot of people that just have really good spirits mm-hmm. and just want to have some fun and kick the ball around. I try to invite everybody of all ages. Everybody's welcome. It's more inclusive than exclusive. And I think soccer in some ways has become kind of exclusive in this country with the DA and certain ways that it's set up and, and certain people don't feel comfortable going out and kicking the ball around. And man, I accept everybody the, uh, any age, any skill level, it doesn't matter. If, if uh, you got a good first touch, you're on my team. That's all I want. The only prerequisite for me is you got to have a good first touch. And I tell everybody, I'm the bear. I'm the bear. You got to feed the bear. The bear's hungry. Give me the goddamn ball. You know, so. Uh, this is my thing. Yeah. The the bears. So. I, oh, yeah. I am here for 100% ego boost. I get it. It's really not what it's about, but, but I do get it. And we just had to have some fun and all that. But it's really yeah, been. Man. It's been an incredible experience in a way because when I, <laughs> as I got into becoming more of a, you know, quote unquote YouTuber, you got to see these YouTuber meetups where people would just kind of be signing autographs or even as a player, there's always that, that table between you and the fan, right? You were signing an autograph, signing a shirt. There was still like this distance. And I thought, yeah. okay, I could have yeah. those type of meetups, but why don't we just play, you know? And it just mm-hmm. kind of blossomed from there and it became super cool. And so once I had an opportunity I put it out that I was going to Minneapolis and somebody said, Oh, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Bruce McGuire or um, somebody else that I should reach out to joy to the people because it was cold. They have an indoor facility and I'm like, yeah, great. I love what they stand for. love what they're doing. They're trying to promote the game and do it in a creative way. Uh, giving, giving kids a place to play and, and be themselves and express themselves. I'm in. So that's where it started and got in contact with them and, and it took off from there. Very and it was cool. an amazing turnout. I was like floored how many people showed up. Um, but it was cool. I, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that I get another chance to have another one there soon. <laughs> well, a 12 year old. Had a great time. So 13 we, now, we probably yeah. could reserve a, a whole other show to talk about the things that you, uh, you do off the field now um, outside of, you know, what you mentioned with, with, um, you know, playing your pick, pickup games and things like that. So maybe we'll, we'll have to put a pin in that for a, for a future date so we can kind of keep moving a little bit. Um, so we put out the call for questions, um, and honestly, I, I expected more to come through, but I figured that maybe during this weird time, people are also nervous to, to ask a question behind a phone or a keyboard. Um, who knows? But we, we do have a, a few listener questions that we'd like to, uh, to throw out there for you. So the first one comes from Derek from Minneapolis. Uh, hi, my name is Derek Johnson. I'm a uh, longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I'm hoping Mr. Conrad can talk about his kind of journey to become the coach that he is, um, meaning, you know, what kind of education has he taken, uh, who are his mentors, um, just kind of discuss the process to becoming a USL2 coach. And then kind of as a follow-up question, if he could talk about his coaching staff um, in his current position. I'd just love to know about his assistants, goalkeeper coaches maybe in particular, um, and kind of anyone else who's helping out work you know, behind the scenes, but isn't on the Wikipedia page. Thanks. 
Yeah, it's a good question. So for me, the USL League Two stuff was something that I was interested in. One of my former teammates, Joe Cannon, coached a USL League Two team about three years ago, and he said he had a blast. I mean, obviously, there's some like uh, financial limitations. There's a whole bunch of stuff that makes it really hard to recruit players and to keep them there. We are well aware. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you guys are well entrenched in that. But but there was something about that process, and I felt a, a like a a pang of envy. I don't, I don't get too much envy in my life, but that was one where I was like, ah, I, I just want to know what that's like and to taste it. And I thought that was a nice level to do it at because I think the players are, are still open-minded and open to listening. It's less about managing egos. You're just trying to develop guys and help them get better. And that's a nice, nice spot. So, you know, I saw the Glenn's guys outside of a pub. I was doing some being sports man on the street stuff and I interviewed them and they said, you should come out to a game. And as a joke, I said, why don't you just let me coach? That would be better, you know? So everybody kind of sees me now, you know, clown nose, clown shoes. And and that's fine. I mean, I, I <laughs> anything I choose to do, I do it with everything I have. And I jump in with both feet. So I decided to do the media stuff. I'm going to give it a go and have some fun, right? And bring some, some levity to uh, a game, which is really just a bunch of people in small shorts kicking a ball in a certain direction. It's not that big of a deal, but it gets heavy at times. So I just try to bring... <laughs> some lightheartedness to it. I think you guys have an idea what that looks like. But 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 I'm also a serious student of the game. I watch a lot of games. I talk about the game a lot. I love the game. I love about development. And I love talking about the mental side of the game, which doesn't get talked about enough. And um, this was an opportunity. So I went in and talked to the Glens guys. And I had a meaningful conversation with them about what I'd like to do and how I'd like to help. I'm not trying to alpha male anybody here. Um, because I already have, you know, coaching licenses with U.S. soccer and because of all my playing experience, sure, I'm going to bring some things to the table that maybe other people don't, but that doesn't mean I'm going to come in and not not learn something from everybody. What is this another instance yeah, of you just much. straight cold calling someone like face-to-face. for yeah, a I job? Yeah, I do that a lot now that you bring that up. <laughs> I'm not scared, that's for sure. But I, I um, <laughs> but so then I, they're like, cool, we want to have you involved, you know? So that's where it started and I was helping out Javier Ayala, who was the coach, and you know, he's like 13 or 14 years younger than me, but, you know, he's already been coaching for a while at San Francisco State, and now he's at USF as the assistant, and there was a lot that I was learning from him, whether it was how to structure a practice a little bit better, how to, like, talk to the guys, you know, methodologies, like, there's so much to learn, and then I've got two girls, one's almost 13, almost nine, I help coach both of their teams, and there's something to learn from everybody, there's something to learn from every single player, how they absorb information, is is really for me the, the the biggest challenge at any level when i speak and i'm trying to give a message how is every single person absorbing this information because if they can all absorb it in the same way then we're going to get on the same page a lot quicker but it, it it's just that's not how it works right it just takes some time for people to, to absorb information in different ways and then some people need to see right. it other people can just hear it and then apply it so that's really been fascinated and, and to be around it um you know, I coached my little girl's uh, eight-year-old rec team, you know, and, and it was a co-ed team. So I got these boys that, I mean, I don't know what the hell they're doing, you know. I mean, they're not even paying attention. <laughs> uh, some guy, some kid called me a stinky-ass, sucky coach. And I was like, is this? Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wait. <laughs> the best when you're coaching kids is like on the sideline, you're like, pay attention to the game because there's exactly. important it's stuff unreal. here. And you're like, yeah, but late yesterday and Fortnite. But so, I mean. Oh, you're ruining the vibe from that in terms of patience and still not losing the emphasis of I'm here to develop them. You know, I'm still there's still something here that I can get. They're out here for a reason. There's something about the game that pulls them in. How do I keep them and even make that blossom even more? So 
Yeah, I mean, I love it. I love coaching. I think that's will probably be the phase three of my life as I kind of get out of playing was phase one, media stuff phase two, and then coaching will be phase three. And I think the USL League two season is a perfect blend for me because I can stream the games live, which we did last year on my Twitch channel and kind of merge the two passions that I have. I can help coach. Mm -hmm. I can help be a part of that and learn from Javier and everybody else on the staff. So ultimately, uh, you there? You guys there? Okay, cool. Yep, so right. here. My thing's died, but it went to speaker, which is great. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, I apologize for the media or the audio changed, everybody. I just I lost my um, or the level. Uh, it's lower to leave soccer. Perfect. perfect time for that. So, so I learned a lot from that, and the staff that we had, I just kept the same staff. And we lost Javier, but we were going to bring on a couple of player coaches, guys that had played last year but are on the wrong side of 30. So they were really just helping us out, kind of give us some experience in the spine of our team. And I just said, I want, we want you guys to play and coach, you know? And so that was what we were leaning towards this year. We were looking for guys that were also connected in the community. I mean, you don't have to have this, this, this uh, pedigree, let's say, of coaching to, to be on my staff. We were just trying to find people that were good at either scouting, right. you know, or really good communicators, even at their youth level or whatever it is. Well, right, because you said like the scouting that that that's no, not no, really no, no. there. I mean, that, it's a lot of that infrastructure. No, yeah, you're right. You definitely level. need to have like you got to you got to count on guys in the community. We we have our own youth academy underneath us, so we we have our young players that we were going to choose and try to promote and get up to the first team, and that's why it got created in the first place was to give them a destination to work towards as a stepping stone to the higher levels. Yeah, we did. We did the yeah, exact same really thing. It's really smart. It's really smart, and um, yeah. So there was really cool. nothing. With regard staff wise, you know, we'd identified a couple people and, and we were really excited to, to be together as a group. And and again, um, as much as there might be a perception of me out there or, or you know, reputation, as it were. Yeah, I don't I don't try to go in there knowing anything more than anybody else. We're all just trying to figure it out and get the most out of the guys. And if your heart's in the right place, like I think mine is, then I'm going to be very easy to work with. All right. So our next question uh, comes from Daniel. Yeah, this is Daniel Warner, Minneapolis, Minnesota, longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, I have a question for Jimmy. Um, curious if you could expand a bit on uh, his initial Twitter account being deleted. Uh, I think it uh, dates back to around 2009. Um, and if, uh, if he actually had death threats from any, uh, any Mexico fans, uh, thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> So Love Dan it. is a super fan who grew up in Kansas he's a, City. He's actually the, he's the president yeah. of oh, <laughs> So he so that means I have to answer this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a fo he's got a follow up that you'll probably maybe yep. not wish you had to answer. But anyways, we'll yeah. So this was really at the beginning of social media and the impact <laughs> it could have if something goes viral. Um, I, I learned this the hard way. So to give everybody back backstory, the 2009 <laughs> Gold Cup. The first game of the tournament, Mexico played Panama, I think. And this is the incident where the Panamanian player was running out of bounds. The ball, like, was trying to chase the ball out of bounds or whatever it was. And he was a little bit out of control. <laughs> and as the ball kind of bounces in front of him, Javier Aguirre, the, the coach of Mexico at the time, he sticks out his leg and trips him. It, like, like, he, like, tackles the guy. It's crazy. So he gets suspended. <laughs> for the rest of the yeah. tournament until the final, <laughs> if Mexico gets to the final. So fast forward to us winning in the semifinals. I got, uh, we, I got against Panama. 
I got a concussion that knocked me out of the tournament. So I was still with the team, but I wasn't playing anymore. So we're in Chicago. We play, I forgot who we play and we win. So we're going to the final Mexico wins. They played after us and, and we're, we're sharing a plane to New York to go play the final at giant stadium. And so me and Stu are talking and Stu goes, Oh man, I, I hope the coach doesn't kick me when I'm in the aisle, you know, walking past him in the aisle which is an amazing joke. And I'm like, oh, dude, can I have that? I'm going to totally tweet that out. <laughs> and we like, he's, like, he's like, yeah, go for it. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, we didn't think anything this like it. It's a funny thing. early days of so Twitter, too. So out. he was like, yeah, whatever. And I turn off my phone because we get on the plane. So, you know, fast forward three, four hours later, and it is just, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I, I mean, I had quadrupled my followers. Oh, All my shit. mentions were you know, in Spanish and I can, I can speak a little bit. So I'm like, okay, great. I hadn't seen my family in, <laughs> you know, like four or five weeks because of this tournament. And, you know, they, I have a young baby at home and you're just, you're thinking through all the possibilities of how, how far, well, yeah. I mean, just don't, you don't know how far somebody's going to go. Yeah. You know? And they're worried so, for your safety. It's not hard to find out where people live, especially in Kansas City. It's a pretty small town. So I just got a little nervous about that. And, and honestly, in hindsight, I should have just immediately tweeted later, it's a joke. You know, it's just everybody needs to relax. But I wasn't that savvy yet. I was more nervous. Bob Bradley was a coach. He hated yeah. social media. Probably still like, does. So I was really reluctant to, to like, make it any worse, right? Well, it got worse. I, I then had to kind of own up to it to the staff and, and U.S. soccer and Bob and, and I wasn't even playing, you know, so I'm like, great. I'm making waves and making news ahead of a big game against a big rival. The last thing we need to do is give them bulletin board material. Well, it leads Sports Center in Latin America, this tweet. So I was like, yeah, I didn't even know that oh, until shit. one of my buddies like it sent me a DM on Facebook or whatever. Like, are you are you, are you OK? What are you doing on you know leading the story? And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So it just felt safer for me to just just not worry about it, take it down. Um, it, again, I wish I just would have owned it. I probably would now, of course. Yeah. Because um, I'm a lot more savvy, and, and and I think everybody understands the Twitter thing a little bit better. But yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. I don't think Bob was happy, and then of course we got our ass kicked in the final five zero, which didn't help. So another question out of uh, from Dan. He's got a follow up. Uh, Big, long-time Kansas City Wizards fan he is, by the way. And uh, he'd like to thank you once again for mailing you, him Dan. a pair you, of Dan. your three-quarter-length pants. He's still got them. Uh, <laughs> he's curious if you uh, – if you've, he's got another story he, you, he'd like you to tell. <laughs> yep, Daniel Warner again, a long-time listener, second-time caller. Uh, I got another question for Jimmy. Um, Jimmy, I'm a big, uh, long-time KC Wizards fan. Uh, I'd like to thank you for once mailing me a three-quarter pan. I still have those. Uh, curious if you could, uh, if you have any comments on the story Hercules Gomez uh, had a few days ago about Roger Espinoza slapping Claudio Lopez during training. Um, curious if you can confirm that, provide any more context, and uh, just curious what your thoughts are on that whole alleged situation. Thanks. This is such an inside. No, no, no. This is such I'm, an inside I'm, question. I remember that only a Kansas City Wizards fan would ask this. I don't remember too much. I mean, that kind of <laughs> stuff happened a lot. I mean, you'd be pretty naive to think you know, there wasn't like you know skirmishes every once in a while. Now, Roger was a much younger player, and Claudio was a you know Champions League winner. But um, a lot of personalities. So there's that, but 
Yeah, I don't remember it. I mean, I was captain sure. at that time. I don't remember it being anything bigger than just that. I mean, just the kind of the shock of Roger doing that. Well, now since, just since we, uh, since, you know, we edit our show to, to make it run smoothly, now is your opportunity to, to retell <laughs> yeah, the got, answer to that I wish I had something more. Something like yeah, I mean, completely. This guy's got my three-quarter pants, Dan, for, you know, the last <laughs> 10 years or whatever. I, gotta, <laughs> I, want, I want to give him the goods, but I got I got nothing. I got nothing. I'll just send you his That's uh, right. You gave him a good first answer. That's fair. Year. Deal. Well, let's move to some Twitter questions. Uh, this one from Christian uh, Fitchett. He said he wants to know your thoughts on youth development. And this we've we've touched on this every once in a while tonight. Your thoughts on youth development now that US the USDA is no yeah, more. Yeah, I would say. Like, what do you want to see for like youth development over the next three, be three to five years? Together, yeah, I want I want us to all be rowing the boat the same direction. I feel like there's a lot of acronyms in this country: um, mm-hmm. DA, ECNL, USL. You know, it's just crazy how many acronyms there are going on. Um, so. I know not everybody is going to be buying into the same philosophy. I know that's not going to be easy. Our country is very big to try to get everybody on the same page. But if there's a way to get everybody working together, and, and in some ways, I wish that U.S. soccer and or MLS, because they are intertwined, if they could figure out the solidarity payments for, for clubs, youth clubs, that, that actually train these kids up and, and provide them opportunities to go to youth academies, and then if they do get sold, there's something they give back. I think that rule really worked against U.S. soccer and MLS. I think they set a really bad precedent to yeah. to the clubs that we're not all in this together. This is more, it's, a, it's about us and not about you. And I just thought that that wasn't the message. And that's not what soccer is about, right? I mean, it's about everybody mm-hmm. succeeding. Um, and so I want those things to get smoothed out, and I'm hopeful because they've been cramming the DA down our throats for the last, you know, 10 to 12 years that all of a sudden just decided to end it abruptly, that there's at least some transparency in what they're trying to do. And and in some ways it might, might be good that it's no longer exists and that U S soccer isn't in charge of that anymore. And it's going to be either on MLS or or another entity to, to rise up and, and kind of handle that. But I just want everybody working together. I know that sounds pretty idealistic and, and maybe probably a little naive, but, something um something to that you know i'm really hopeful that this new president can help start building bridges as opposed to you know stuffing pockets of the the people that already make a ton of money which is what it, the vibe was it seems and feels like whether that's true or not that's what it feels like you know speaking from us on the on the lower divisions looking mm-hmm. up um so that would be kind of my goal for that and and i think there needs to be a big emphasis on a couple different things player development is always easy one to talk about it's it's very tangible but we need, we need to develop better scouts, better coaching. Uh, we need a referee development. Mm-hmm. All, all of it goes hand in hand. And in some ways, I wish that youth clubs would make it mandatory for the older players, mm-hmm. the U16s and ups, to have to ref a game, to have to and ref more than one game, to also be an assistant on the younger kids' teams. I know these are big-time commitments, but still, just so they could see what it's like to be a coach, to understand what it means to communicate to a player, to get a message across, because that will make them a well more well-rounded player. To referee a game will make them more respectful on the field, to understand what it's like from that perspective. All these different little things would be really important, I think, to, to continuing to develop players. And then also figuring out a way to have some type of platform or place for our players that fall out because let's be honest, you know, only the top 1% of the 1% actually make the full national team and maybe contribute to the World Cup or whatever it may be. 
But what about the other 99% that love the game? I mean, that's where they could go into right. scouting. They could go into coaching. They could go into referee. Yeah. I feel like we yeah, missed what's out the on career so path many if talented, if you don't make people a professional who just now have a bad taste squad. in their mouth about the whole sport because of, you know, there wasn't necessarily an exit plan. And mm-hmm. yeah, again, that's, that's a big undertaking. And, and that, again, probably falls into more idealistic. But that would be something to, to work towards. You don't necessarily have to always get there, but at least work towards it. Would be nice if U.S. soccer kind of led the way that way yeah uh as opposed to you know being mired in lawsuits and all this other crap that they're in you know it's just not a good look right now for u.s <laughs> soccer and, and uh part of the part of the the point that always gets made like we're a huge country so how do we how do we deal with the sheer volume of people that want to get involved in soccer i think regionalizing regionalizing would help um, the resident the residency that we had in florida obviously produced a lot of good players i don't know why that couldn't be replicated and we could go maybe state to state, but mm-hmm. at the very least, the regional yeah. a regional area, you know, where you do identify those players, there is a place for them to go and train. And then you take the best of the best from there. Those four regions play against each other and you start to weed out who can play and who can't. But, um, you know, I know that's a little bit easier for me. And I'm kind of speaking about it from a perspective when I was coming up where there wasn't any MLS youth academies. There wasn't as many destinations to, to be seen. Um, I don't know if it's easier or harder now to be seen if you're good. I, I have yet to decide exactly because I feel like you can make arguments for both. Before, <laughs> if you were good, you would probably be seen. And now if you're good, you might not be seen because there's just yeah. so many people. There's too much. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. So our last question comes via text. Uh, and that's from uh, Minneapolis City All co-captain right, Max. Max Stiegward. And he he switches uh, gears a little bit here on uh, one of the topics that we, we just didn't have a ton of time to, to cover off uh, this this time around, and he says, "How do you get in? How did you get involved with EA Sports? And what do you recommend you do to become a so-called?" In quote, yeah, because game okay, game. background on this, Jimmy, is like Max Stiegwert is not only our co-captain and a really good, really good midfielder, but uh, he's also one of the he is the top FIFA player on our squad. And I think John, what's the stat? He's made top one hundred a couple times. He- yeah, he's ranked in the in the in the top. He's ranked in the top half weekend of, league. Um, yeah. of the mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, so I assume he's quite verified, yeah. which yeah. is a is a good thing and very impressive. Yep. Um, is he making yep. any content around the game? As well, far as see, like, this is this is the step. Maybe he isn't, so he needs to yeah. do that. And once he does that, what yeah, does he need he, to do? He's just, he's just he's just at yeah, home I mean, hammering hammer on it, sticks. And I respect that. I think to be a game changer, he would have to be more visible. Um, the visibility is really important. It's essentially game changers are influencers, right? Um, with regard to how EA sees right. it. I don't even know if I'm a game changer anymore because even though I host all their events, I don't stream enough of their content to qualify as a game changer. So if that makes them feel any better, hopefully it will. But um yeah, well, I didn't, grandfather I didn't even probably. get the Game Changer emails anymore. So now that you bring that up, I'm like, wait, wait a second. But um, yeah, for sure. For Put sure. on your to-do list but to follow they, up tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, there's a certain amount of, like, there's, there's definitely a benchmark of how much you need to stream and how much you need to put out with regard to FIFA content for them to consider you a Game Changer. Um, so uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of people grinding and doing it, but if they're not streaming it, you know, it's, it's in the, the thing is, People will watch you. You don't have to be like this crazy personality to do it. If you just go up there and stream and and just basically show what you're doing while you're trying to qualify in the weekend league, that's enough to get viewers. That'll be a, more than enough content for them to potentially qualify as a game changer. 
It does help, however, to have a personality because that's mm-hmm. what makes you more visible. But yeah, if he gets it going or if he needs any help, you guys have my number so he can reach out. All right, man. So absolutely. It, it, <clears throat> and I don't know if you know this, Jimmy, but Nate and I are are ah! big into esports. Yeah, we're lately we're budding esports commentators. No so we, oh yeah, we're uh, we uh, one of our our. It, it, if you go back and listen to the show before we had you on, we we talk about um, one of our central defenders is uh, in the lower league E Cup right now, which is about a hundred teams uh, from USL yeah. one and below throughout the country. And uh, Nate and I do a, a fifteen minute pregame show for each of his matches, which is almost as long as the match. Um, and then we try to do play by play, which is nearly impossible. So it's just a bunch of jackassery of two guys trying to no, fill dead better. air I'd rather for watch that 25 minutes. People um, actually so, calling the game yeah. properly. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but when you think about like the streaming world basically looks like the cutscenes from Borderlands, <laughs> you might as well, like, you might as, you might as well just make it as, as dumb yeah, as possible yeah, and, Mystery uh, Science and play it up. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. I'll send I'll send you uh, a link to our, our next Twitch broadcast on Saturday. Minor self promotion. It it's uh, it's minor self promotion. Yeah, I mean we we boil it down to uh, to doing you know the the tail of the tape and seeing how big his hands are and if that's something that would be uh, you know positive <laughs> or negative in his game. Well, he might be a big hit. Big hit with well. the Jimmy, ladies, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I, that's what I told him. I said. If you ever meet a girl, you can just show her the video of us talking about how big your hands are. In our breakdown of your gaming chair. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so Jimmy, one of the things we always do to close out the show uh, is is play a game. And this year, this season, the game the game we're playing is is called Ask John Anything because uh, you know it's we we never have anyone of your of your caliber on the show but usually john is the guy that's most the most uh the the most experienced soccer player player on so we like to have our guests okay. ask him any two questions that they that they want and this is really where we separate like the 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 nice guys from the the total sociopaths because these questions can be about <laughs> anything they can be soccer related they can be about which kid he loves the best they can be about who he thinks about when he's kissing his wife, like any okay. of this stuff, right? But here, here's <laughs> okay. the here are the rules. If John answers both of them, he has to answer them truthfully. And if he answers them both, the game is over. But if he has to plead the fifth on any of the question, you get another oh, wow. freebie question. Okay. So here, this is this is what I'm saying. You can get really crazy here, or you can just uh, keep the conversation going. Ask John two questions. Okay. First Go. question. Well, this is kind of a preface. I need to know a little bit more to ask this question. Uh, what, what, like, sure. what, give me Lead your up. playing background. Um, uh, played all throughout high school, did the whole ODP thing, got, got up to national pool 15, uh, was first cut, sent home. Um, after high school, played in Germany for a little while, came home, okay. played amateur so, until then. Of all these experiences, I'm sure you've, <laughs> this is a question I always ask my teammates. Uh, was was anybody jealous of you in the shower? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I've never had to plead the fifth, and I'm not going to so far. Uh, no, they haven't. I'm 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 pretty much I your average it. five and change guy. It. From from one one below average guy to another, I really respect that. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> 
let me let me let me let me just just mention it real quickly. It's much like like you mentioned throughout your playing <laughs> career. You seize opportunities and you and you work <laughs> with what you have. And you're, John, and you're always that. ready when answer. when you're called upon. That's a great answer. Uh okay. And then um who is your favorite former US men's national team player? Um okay. So here's where I uh I I um I have to be. I, I don't know. Have to be I, I, I can a, a little bit diplomatic here. Uh, I, you have to be honest. I'm going to be honest, but I'm going to do it with some diplomacy. Uh, I, I, I'll caveat. I, I've always been a number six. I, I've never played any other position except for maybe a little bit of center back, which was a terrible idea because uh, I'm only five nine. I don't know what my coach was thinking, but anyways. Uh, so clearly, None, I don't go taken. towards I, defenders. I so no me, offense so to you, Jimmy. Um, however, my favorite all-time U.S. men's national team player wow. is not even a midfielder. It's Brian McBride. And, and it's Brian McBride because, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm an Ohio South guy. And during the conception of MLS with Columbus Crew coming into town, we would travel to Columbus from Dayton, like, on the regular to go. To, oh. We had season tickets to go to uh, the Crew games. And I just fell in love with Brian McBride as a target striker because – I had never played with a player like that at my young age where, you know, you could you yeah. play a ball into someone and they would hold it up. They, they, they did all right. the dirty work, but they also banged in goals. And, um, and then seeing, you know, what, what he was like off the field in the com- community at that time in my life, didn't really care about that, but now going back yeah. to it and seeing like how just good of a guy here he is. And, um, and then, you know, also the fact that, um, that, uh, you know, he's now involved in the Federation, which I think is a really big thing because he has the experience of playing abroad. He also played for the Milwaukee Rampage when I lived in Milwaukee after I moved from Ohio. So, like, I kind of followed around where he went. So I guess the next logical thing is that I become some part of U.S. soccer because he's now there, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But he was my favorite player. After that answer, you're pretty much a shoe-in. Yeah, I mean, hey. Yeah, I, I, I look, I, I'm actually visualizing you in your Brian McBride pajamas right now. So that's good. <laughs> no, here's, got here's, here's where the embar- <laughs> yeah my Brian McBride three quarter length pants. <laughs> um, here's where it gets embarrassing. So remember back in the day, he yeah. had like the long hair and he wore like the shoestring tied around it. I implemented that into my 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 life for like a solid four years after after he did that. And I got to the age where having long hair was like a cool thing to do. So uh, yeah, I definitely, and then I, of course, I'm playing as a deep playing midfielder <laughs> and with, looking like a target striker for the U.S. national team. John, that's the very niche version of like Minnesota <laughs> hockey hair. Like you picked out the one, you picked yeah. out one athlete, and you decided that's the guy you want to look like. I mean, hey, you, <laughs> you gravitate mm-hmm. to what you gravitate towards, and, and you can't control it sometimes. Well, holy crap, Jimmy, Jimmy Conrad, thank you so much uh, for joining us, man. This has been an opportunity of a lifetime for us to, to talk to you. It's been awesome. It's, I mean, shit, we've been talking to you for almost an hour and a half or about an hour and a half. So this has been, this has been amazing. We could probably have talked to you all night, but we, yeah, same. we got to go to bed. I, I, I appreciate it. We really, no, we really appreciate that you're willing to jump on and, and talk to, talk to some guys in, you know, a lower league club and, and give, give your perspective to us. Um, take a bite out of our, our little slice of soccer. So uh, again, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for, for visiting Minnesota and for being such a positive influence on not only soccer, but just everything you touch uh, for 
for so long and we we hope to see you continue to do it for for you make all your a guests try to, to cry before you you let them on <laughs> no just you because because <laughs> right. you're baby you're huey a good shout that's a great that is a, that is a deep cut right there i respect <laughs> I, I was i did cry a lot when i was younger i talked to my about that all the time just to make them feel better when they're crying well jimmy thank you so much for coming on it was a real pleasure um, like we said, we don't necessarily get folks with uh, with your clout score, so we really appreciate you taking the time to dive into our little slice of the soccer pie, and uh, we look forward to potentially having you on in the future discussing some of your off-the-field stuff that you go through, so we really appreciate it, and we hope you have a good uh, good rest of the quarantine, sir. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to coming on soon. Right, oh, thank you. you so much. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Talk to you later. That is all for this week's show, folks. Thank you, Jimmy Conrad. And thanks, as always, to our show sponsor, Summit Brewing Company. Your local swig house is closed for now. So what? You'll still be able to get over to your local liquor stores and buy some Summit to help you ride out this weird time. Whether it's especially brew like Maybach, I hear Cabin Crushers out, or it's a, if it's a staple like the award-winning EPA, there are plenty of options for you to grab. Summit, a more meaningful brew since 1986. If giving back to the community means a lot to you, maybe it's time to give to the club that loves to give back. Minneapolis City is a 501c3 that provides a safe, reliable, and fun environment for young people to play the beautiful game. Look for us as soon as we can during this off or on season, whatever you want to call it, hosting play events in partnership, uh, in partnership with community centers around the city, and consider a tax-deductible donation to a true city-focused organization. Do you have anything you want us to cover? Any hard-hitting exposés you've been hoping we undertake? Any guests you want us to have on? Um, or, or at least try it for us to have on? Uh, it's easy. Send us input. Hit us up on Twitter at The People's Pitch or through email mcscpodcast at gmail.com. And if calling is more of your speed and you want to hear your voice live on the show like you did today, hit up our show hotline at 612 460 five six eight three all questions comments and concerns are welcome and finally as always you can hit up the club and complain at mpls city sc so that does it for this week i am john that was some guy named jimmy conrad and uh nate morales <laughs> like the cat poster in carol's cubicle says hang in there folks you got hooked Poster burning maple weeds, cradle major keys. Thinking back, I've been major since the minor league. So supreme, too much sauce off my olive NMDs. I could staple steez, bend the gold so I get the cheese. Never fall, rake them leaves and make sure every moment gets seized. And everything I see is make.